What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Weird Al Bums. I am one of your hosts, Jay Shanoi, and with me, as always, is Jay from Masters of None. What's up, buddy? What's up? We are here with episode, I think it's 10. I think it's episode 10. Yep. This is the 10th studio album from Weird Al. We are just burning our way through the Cat Al log. This is 1999's Running With Scissors that we'll be talking about this week. I love this album so much. I forgot how much I loved it. It's damn near perfect. Man, me too. What a masterpiece. We have, I've told you a few times because you have not remembered the specifics of the discography as clearly as I just listened to all these a couple months ago. And I've been telling you, like, while you've been saying, really loved going back. There's a lot of, man, what a great time it's been listening to these. I've been saying, hold on till that, that late career is <laughs> coming, man. And it's, it's not bad. Late 90s were, were a good time for, for Al Fance. Now, was there another couple years in between this one and the last one? Do you remember? There were. So this was 1999. There's another three-year gap. And I think it really shows. Uh-huh. Every time we point that out, yep. uh, it pays off. Not only did that happen here, but the three years in question, that mid-90s range of like kind of the second half of that decade, this kind of just feels like a time capsule of that time. And it was... Music was, was happening in that time period. There was a lot of music to document. There were a lot of fads happening. Yeah, it's so great because all like almost all the song choices, all the pastiches are all great. Like all of them have kind of stood the test of time, which it's awesome. And the the lyrics are just so good on this man. This may be the best lyrical album yet. I think. Like again, there is right really top notch writing going on here, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna say that on so many of these tracks because yeah, I'm I am blown away by a lot of the writing on it and the the song that I picked for favorite parody. I still cannot get through without laughing out loud i think it's one of the funniest (laughs) things i've ever heard in my life well i might say you're racist for that but we'll get to it (laughs) shall we dig in yeah do you have do you have anything to get to beforehand not really um we did get a a post on instagram at weird albums uh somebody asked if we forgot to include um she said the body count uh maybe off because a bunch of people because die. Because of In Like a Surgeon. No, I saw this. In Like a Surgeon, all of the patients that died before they could pay. Because he says, I'm the disgrace of the, the MAA or, or whatever. Yeah, the did, you, ca- did you count those? I didn't because we've been going with explicitly mentioned murders. Okay. And there's been a lot of debating going on about whether or not I should count something. That one I decided I don't because it's not clear how many there were. Just says all of them. I don't know. We're already in the billions. Are you really <laughs> concerned that we're being too conservative with how many people we are letting die? Because entire world populations have perished. There's a questionable one in this, too, on this album that we have to decide if it counts as a death or not. I have a couple things I want to discuss oh, with you boy. about whether or not someone is a corpse on, right. this, on this record. Yeah, <laughs> This is this is definitely a, a good album to have a death toll tally that you're that you're keeping track of. This was one I had to pay a little bit of attention. All right. Let's uh, let's dig into it, man. Track one was uh, the big one. And this is one of the rare times where it, it's happened in the past where he did the MacArthur Park as the lead single, which was an old song at the time, and it kind of bombed. But this one, in this one, he did Don McLean's uh, American Pie, but I think he picked the right topic, which was Star Wars, which Phantom Menace came out right around this time. And I think that carried it. And again, it's just lyrical perfection. The saga begins. Let's take a look. Did you know this junkyard slave isn't even old enough to shave? But he can use the force they 
An epic, long story song. He basically tells the entire tale of Phantom Menace in the five and a half minutes that he uses. And it's so great. My, my, this here Anakin guy. It's so good. It's so good. It's perfect. It is. It is the thing that justifies episode one existing for me. That and the pod <laughs> racing video game for Nintendo 64, that's totally fair. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely perfect. It Again, the writing is so top-notch. He absolutely made this... Not just fit the song, but every line is like so carefully crafted that it it doesn't just fit; it fits perfectly. Like he, and that's really the case with almost all of the parodies on this record. Is he put so much effort into to making it seamless? And I think I think it starts off with a bang, man. I think this song is it's funny, it's well done, it's like you said, it's like a long epic. We also uh. Right off the bat, track one, our death toll's going up by one because I'm counting Qui-Gon Jim. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> it was huge. Was this like the start of Act 3, would you think? Al's Act 3? I don't know. I feel or like you have thrown was. inconsistent numbers around this whole time, so I think we're on like Act 7 at this point. <laughs> I think every album has been its own act. I think it's, I think it's just weird, weird act bums now. Uh, I do want to briefly ask you, whether or not, because there's a little bit of an age gap between us. I was in eighth grade when episode one came out. Were you among the group that tricked yourself into thinking you liked it when it first came out and you saw it in theaters because it was called Star Wars? Um, I, no, I don't remember loving it, but I don't remember instantly hating it either. I was just like, eh, I, I guess. I think that was the point, like seeing it the first time, I was like, oh yeah, this is for kids. Like this is, I'm too old for this. I, I think I got that early on, and I was like, yeah. How's that okay. working out for you, Batman suit, Weird Al podcast? Does that, that pan out pretty well? Touche. Touche. I'll just be over here sipping my tea like Kermit. Dude, yeah, make sure you pull up your Spider-Man mask before you <laughs> sip that tea. Fun thing about this album is that I was actually doing radio at the time in Long Island, and I had just gotten my own show on a commercial radio station that was mostly ska-based. And mm-hmm. so I was able to play a song from this album, and I just said, screw it, I'm just going to play a bunch of songs off this album because I love Weird Al. And so the right. a song we're going to get to later was The Entryway, and I'm like, this is great. I'm playing this on the on the radio, and nobody can stop me. It was really insane that I that I had my own show where I could literally play whatever I wanted on like a major commercial radio station. And I, was like, I mean, don't spoil it till we get there, but if you did not play Albuquerque on air, I'm going to be a little frustrated. I can't remember if I did. I did do a show one time where, so I had an hour, I did a four-song show, and I played four, like, 15-minute songs, which was, I was pretty proud of myself for doing that. I did a, I did Party at Ground Zero, Fishbone. I did No Effects, The Decline. I did... I have to, oh God, I'm gonna have to go back and think about it. But I did two other ones, and the, those four songs was the entire hour. It was, I was pretty proud of myself. I feel like that's. That, I mean, at least half of that sounds like a good time. Yeah. I would have. I mean, really I, enjoyed that hour. Pretty subversive, I want to say, for a 22 year old punk kid who like kind of weaseled his way into having his own radio show against the wishes of the program director. I mean, all of that sounds like exactly the dude you expect subversive behavior from. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think anyone expected that decision to go well. Yeah. So, all right. 
Track two, I love this one. It's a bluegrass style parody, right? Bluegrass or Zydeco, I guess you could call it. Yeah, there's that word is like, is on the Wikipedia page, and I had to look it up, and it's a specific brand of bluegrass music that this absolutely fits. Yeah. Al teaches me a lot. I learn a lot about music from Al. All right, here's uh, My Baby's in Love with Eddie Vedder. She likes his brooding angst and his wild-eyed stare. Yeah, he's a very favorite soccer fun bouncy tune and another one where the lyrical writing is just it's very satisfying a lot of the lines that he crafts here mm. when he says my girl can't get enough of his sullen demeanor like he's some big torture genius and i'm some kind of wiener he like pushes it all together <laughs> in such a way that i cannot not smile when that line hits every time and we get some uh, accordion on a regular track which is nice too Man, not really my style of music entirely. I like I like pretty much anything that's got this kind of goofy, mm-hmm. upbeat tempo to it. But I think it's a nice. Certainly change. not my subject matter. I'm not an Eddie Vedder or Pearl Jam fan. I absolutely love this song. It's great. Well, I like it too because I don't like Eddie Vedder or Pearl Jam, and I think it's he's on our side. So you relate to the narrator? Yes, hundred percent. If your significant other were in love with him, it would trouble you. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. Uh, went to New Orleans once, and every time, every like little souvenir shop you walk by had a song that sounded exactly like this song, just blasting out of it. Like, <laughs> but every time you'd go past a different souvenir shop, it'd be the same exact song playing out of the thing, and it really sounds exactly like this. So, job well done. And I love the fact that he, this is like a completely different genre that's just totally out of left field. And he's like, here we go. How about a Zydeco style, guys? And boom, and he nails it too because he ties it in with the '90s alternative thing. It makes it silly and fun, and I mean, I don't know if I would have put that as track two, but it it works for me. No, it's a weird left-field choice because you've pointed out many times that he very rarely ventures away from the one-two punch of the big parody is track one, and then your strongest style parody, right? direct rip-off of a specific artist is track two. Number two, yep. So he just kind of went with just a straight style, number two. But I like it. Not only did he not, yeah, do that on this album, but there are a couple of songs that are specific artist-style parodies that are incredibly well done that yeah. would have made perfect sense in that spot. Everything on this, whether you love it or not, is incredibly well done. Like, it's the yeah. production is spotless. The, I also think at amazing. this point, this is his fourth album that he was producing himself. I mean, he, he, he can absolutely his make his own rules. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's do Jay's favorite parody. It's pretty fly for Rabbi. again dude it's so funny to me (laughs) every line in that song makes me laugh at the give it to me baby is an old jewish woman saying how you doing bernie jay this is is that wait is that not fran drescher 
I have I have no idea. Oh, I thought you'd think. have a little tidbit for us. It sounds exactly like her. I figured, you know, she was in UHF, so we had the hookup, and that she'd be the perfect voice for that. Hey, hey, do that Hebrew thing. That's funny. Destroys me. <laughs> the oy vey, oy vey is a little cringy for me. A little tight. How bit. about you, have you seen this Jew? Makes, <laughs> makes me cry. It makes me cry laughing. This song legitimately puts me into, I'm crying right now, and I've listened to this album like eight times this week. It's so funny to me, and I think that... I mean, he's always really gone for the popular songs of the time that were kind of already novelty music to begin with. Mm -hmm. He's always gravitated kind of towards those. I think he had a lot of good to pick from in this specific time period. I think Pretty Fly for a White Guy is just ripe for that. It's got that sound like it's it's a catchy radio song, but it's perfect for, for the Weird Al treatment. Right. So guess who does the voice? It's our old pal, Tress McNeil, who was Lucy and Ricky way back. Oh, yeah, Track welcome one, back. album one. So that's who does that. And that was my favorite parody on that album as well. So I think we figured out the common threat. Yeah, fun fact, too. The the beginning, instead of the Guten Glieten, Glauten Globen, uh, it's Yiddish. It says, he says, Verin soll fun der Ablinza, and it means you should turn into a blintz. My favorite part, though, is the uh, the Mechaleka High, Mechahine Ho. The parents pay the moil, and he gets to keep the tip, Jay. Yeah. That's how I that's how I learned um, that a moil is the guy that does the circumcision right on. from this song. And I certainly appreciate that he does both of the Jambi phrases. So he does Mechaleka High, Mechahine Ho. And then if you're and a real Charlie Ho. Johnny Ho at the, at the end. That's for the real hardcore peewee heads right there. So we should discuss briefly, as you accuse me, is this song culturally insensitive? I don't think it is. I think it's very respectful to the Jewish people. Yeah, throwing everything. I think Jewish it's a celebration. I mean, I don't dig the line where he talks about how they control Hollywood and all the banks. That was kind of weird. I, he doesn't say you that. Sure? You know what he does say? People used to scoff. Now they say mazel tov. This is a perfectly written song. Just... This is the Weird Al tattoo that I get across my back. Just the lyrics to this song. I think that counts as a white supremacist tattoo in prison. If you have the words to pretty fly for a rabbi. You're a Nazi. No, that was bad enough to end on. Track four (laughs) is an original. We got a little weird here. We do have five. We do have five parodies. We have six originals. And one polka. You need to stop. We have five parodies, we have six originals, one polka. One of those originals is another TV theme song, as he's done previously, except it's his TV show. So yeah. track four is the theme song to the Weird Al show that he had at the time. Which is is great. It's it's very, again, like they might be giantsy, and it's fun. Dude, but... what an insane, from like a production and songwriting standpoint, listening to like that audio recording. What an insane thing they made there in like in like one minute's time. Yeah, it's very busy. Yeah, just like you said, they might be giants. A lot of that going on. As far as, like you were saying, just busy and the jumpy production, I was like, this is like mindless self-indulgence levels of (laughs) uh, like sequencing and thought that had to go into making Mm -hmm. this recording. It might also be because it's a a very short song that it made me think of that. But it is. It's chaotic and it's really catchy and fun. And that show was great. I watched it when it was on TV. I got the DVDs. And it's on YouTube, too, as we learned last week from our guest. And I think that this song is worth putting on an album. I think it is 
very much a Weird Al song. I think, obviously, yeah. he's going to make the theme song to his own show, and he's going to not phone it in, and he didn't. And I think it's worth throwing it on the record, because it's very much, it's a silly Al original. Makes more sense than George of the Jungle, that's for sure. But yeah, as someone who has such reverence, for someone who has such reverence for TV and TV theme songs, it makes perfect sense. And he he hit he hit the home run as he should. Jay, I don't know what my favorite parody is yet in this album. I have that's how tight it was for me. So I'm going to decide. You really haven't even decided yet. I haven't decided. It's it's too hard. And I'm also I was very torn on my favorite original. I mean, I'm torn between like four of them, but we'll we'll get to that too. Uh, Let's. You want to do track five? I first want to agree with you that it's it's all tough calls to make on mm-hmm. this on this record. It there's no one that you can pick without feeling like you're doing something a disservice. Having said that, and already having done my favorite parody, yes, let's move on to track five. All right, some uh, might consider this one a little problematic. Some of the language as well. So here's uh, Jerry Springer. It's been one week since we got to see cheating lovers and cousins that marry five days since they had the show with the hermaphrodite, the slut, and the backhoe. Three days since we heard the tale about the guy who learned his woman was a shemale. Yesterday, it occurred to me that I've been watching a bit too much Jerry Springer. Holy cow, did you see it last week? Well, I had this one freak who sucker punched his whole family. Do you recall when the brawl became a total free for all and Jerry's in the middle trying to be the referee? Hey, see the stripper with the implants? She likes to lap dance and date the boyfriend of her mother. Now here comes Jerry's next guest and it's a slugfest because it's a trailer trash brother. Nymphomaniac is back on crack. It's like when animals attack, they all exhibit reprehensible behavior. This is one of two hermaphrodite mentions on this album, Jay. I don't know how much of that you could say in 1999, honestly. <laughs> Very edgy for Al. Also, his second... The notes that I was writing down, I was like, well, you can't say this now. Yeah. I don't know how cool it was to say it then, honestly. I think it's also the second time he said slut on an album as well, right? It's Please. at least the second time, because he did on the previous one. Yeah. He's getting edgy in the late 90s. I think that's worth pointing out, because it's definitely noticeable on this album that he's he's pushing it... A li- this is a little more risque than you're used to him being. Yep. And I think it's really mostly a testament to the time and what the general vibe and sense of humor was in America in the late 90s. Because this is very much not, like, risque for the time. This was, like, South Park time is yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah, this is, like, the era, like, heading into, the, like, the Girls Gone Wild era where it was just, like... And Jerry Springer, yeah, which is Jerry really Springer. when when I listen to this song and I try to ask... Like, the language, yes, it's problematic. It's People would take issues with so much of the terminology that he uses here. I personally, as a straight cis white dude, so my opinion doesn't really matter, think that he is not to blame. I think he is writing a song about Jerry Springer, which sensationalized all these things and used that terminology to the whole focus was trash TV and to get people to watch because of he's too hot for TV. You couldn't watch comedy central past midnight without seeing an infomercial for a VHS of Jerry Springer that showed some boobies. Yep. Oh yeah. I remember those, the uncensored Jerry Springer ones. (laughs) So I really think that, Yes, he probably would not write this parody now, nor should he, because there's there's a lot of stuff that you might think twice about about saying or how you say it. At the time, the thing he was parodying, though, was, you know, this is so tame compared to, and that's the message that he's trying to get across. He's just representing the thing he's talking about. Alsploitation. I think this is the closest we're ever going to get to, like, a scandalous album, though. I, I think I think the song's great. 
that's again the lyrics are just amazing the music is perfect and just all of it it's just it's exactly bare naked ladies one week it's it's, unbel- it's unbelievable how he how he does it i think this is the most impressive album yet like do you think it it definitely blows me away as much as it sounds like it, it blows you away i think this song i absolutely agree is lyrically incredible just like we've said about so many other ones it stays on topic perfectly and the lyrics again are just clever throughout and this is another one of those ones where this is essentially a novelty song this is like the one that really broke mm-hmm. bare naked ladies into the huge mainstream yep who by the way are a great live band did you throw a box of macaroni and cheese no i didn't know i didn't know that that whole spiel i had some free tickets it was them and somebody better might have been they might be giants oh yeah i think it was it might have been literally any other band (laughs) i think it was them and they might be giants actually but at free tickets and i was very impressed i must say they they sounded amazing live that their show was super tight they're all very good singers and players i was i was very impressed i came away as a, a bit of a fan i must say or at least more more respect for the bare naked ladies I don't necessarily hate them, but let me make it sound like I do. So, did you know that the I think his name was Stephen, the uh, the larger of Stephen the, Page, the yep. singers, not the one who raps, the one who got hooked on like drugs and got kicked out of the band, right? So he back in like the early two thousands got busted with uh, like a ton of cocaine in his house, and I was delighted when that news story broke, and I spent months telling people. Uh, that I guess we know the answer to what he would do if he had a million dollars. Ah, womp womp. There you go. He'd spend it on coke. <laughs> People now throw little baggies up on the stage instead of macaroni and cheese. Yeah, and they don't put up signs that are like, please don't throw that. <laughs> that was what I heard was that in the 90s, people used to throw Kraft Mac and Cheese because yep. of their stupid million dollar song. Kraft Dinner. And... They had to start putting donation bins out in front of their shows. They were like, the boxes hurt. Please don't throw those. Donate them to a food bank here. All right. Track six. Little Nine Inch Nails. Pastachio. It's germs. nails it i don't think this song he nine inch nails it i don't think this song is particularly funny no but the entertainment value from it is how flawlessly he recorded a nine inch nails song yes and really all that i think of when i listen to this song is oh my god every band have weird al produce your records (laughs) yeah he can do it all it's obviously he can this is perfectly a Nine Inch Nails song, and not just, like, writing. It's, like, it is Trent Reznor production and the weird effects and the, like, 15 layers of just white noise and weird broken melodies that don't sound correct. He yeah. nailed it. Well, I mean, it's three quarters, like, literally terrible lie by Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> like, it's almost, just about. It's yeah. almost exactly it. But, yeah, you kind of mix it There's a little bit that. of closer yeah, in there Yeah, a little well. bit of closer, yeah. 
but it's it's good. It's probably like towards the bottom of of the list uh, of this album, but it's still like we which said, is still insane good. because yeah. this is a great song. Mm-hmm. Next one is our polka medley, right smack in the middle there, like we expected. Polka power. He's mixing up a pop, the alternative from the '90s. Let's take a listen. Get me through this. Send me to kind of life, baby, baby. I want something else. I'm not listening when you say goodbye. There's lots of pretty, pretty ones that want to get you high. But all the pretty, pretty ones will leave you low and blow your mind. We're all stars now in the dope show. Jay, am I biased because the 90s were such a formative time for me for music? Is that why I think the previous album and this one are such monumentally better polkas than we've heard on any other record? Is it just because I'm biased because I'm more of a 90s kid than an 80s kid? Well, I'm the same way, too. I mean, I'm more of an 80s kid. I mean, the 90s for me was high school and college, but it was just the best time of music. Like, I don't know, anyone even remotely around our age, like, just has that experience if you were alive in the 90s just that whole change of music it was so damn good first off when i'm taking notes to record an episode if there's a lyric or something in a song that i want to make sure i mention that i really admire i write it down in my notes for that track great job picking the the clip for this one because the only thing i wrote down as far as any of that is concerned for this polka is semi-charmed doot 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 <laughs> of course because i love that part it's very funny <laughs> it is i screw i admit i screwed up later on and picked some parts that were not great from some of these upcoming ones uh just because I, I usually listen to the album like throughout the week and then when it's time to pull the clips i just forget the parts i wanted because i don't take notes because i do all the rest of the work jay so you take the damn notes and i'll do everything else uh but yeah i'll that... take the notes and be funny so there you go what are you, what are you trying to say I also really like that in the Ghetto Superstar portion of this polka, there's percussive belching. <laughs> yeah, the I, that, <laughs> that was the first part I did, and then I did this part too. I was like, I got to go with this, because it's got that great segue of the doo-doo-doots into Marilyn Manson into Hansen, which is fantastic. That, Manson, that Hansen. trio is a, a very strong segment of this polka to 100%. choose. Yeah. Another note that I took is, again, I... I really love this time period of music, and I just, this to me, I wrote that it sounds like a time capsule in a tuba to me, because it is just <laughs> such a perfect slice of that 96 to 99 yep. time period, and then run through the ringer of, of polka is, I'm so happy that he did these every yep. few years, and that these exist, that you can go through like the history of popular music as polka. What a gift he gave the world. Track eight is my pick for favorite original. It's called Your Horoscope for Today, and it's my favorite original because it's a ska song. Yep. This or Albuquerque, I don't know which one to pick. I like truck driving song. Do I want to pick the same one as you? But yeah, this is a huge one for me too. Let's take a listen. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to start it with The Bridge, which is my favorite part of the song. That's your horoscope for today. Absolutely true. Where was I? A big promotion is just around the corner for someone much more talented. 
right. It, that that where was I is so funny going back into the verse. It's I think it's got to be my favorite too, man. It's so good. I can literally listen to this a hundred times in a row and you always find something new because it's so dense and just the the ling the li- cunning linguist of Al yeah. in that bridge yeah, is amazing and the whole thing it's super fast it's so impressive it's so funny it's like a ska song which we love it's he wrote a great third wave 90s ska song yeah. and yeah i'm i'm j scott noint and he's <laughs> al skankovic <laughs> he's even got the drummer doing the little side stick with the little rim shots like that's it oh, it's third great wave ska. it's, it's, so it's a perfect third wave ska song and it's it's very funny and yeah it's great. great it's dark uh, dark again does anybody die in Very this one? Very dark. And Do let's even... talk death toll here. Yeah. Because there's one where your love life will get complicated when your fiance hurls a javelin through your chest. I think that's a clear cut. <laughs> I think we can notch one up there. Yep. On another one, expect a big surprise today when you wind up with your head upon a stick. I think it's safe to say that's going to tick us up one. Okay. When you fall screaming from an open window. Is that a death or are they just serious injuries? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I tend to air Rick Clapton, so I said yes, it oh, is gee. a death. <laughs> Jay, what's the difference between a baby and a bag of cocaine? Oh, uh, no. You don't throw babies at a bare naked lady show? Eric Clapton would never let a bag of cocaine fall out of a window. <laughs> Nothing for my fucking joke. I. Nothing for my joke. I came up with in literally a millisecond. My callback. Nothing. Huh? Sometimes. Mine wasn't even my joke. I don't even remember who <laughs> told like, that to I, me. That's a nothing. street joke. It's not an acknowledgement. No. Just, nope. Okay. Fine. I'm going to throw a baby the next time I go to a Bare Naked Lady show. Track nine is a parody of <laughs> P- Puff Daddy's. It's all about the Benjamins rock remix. Love. Remember this. they did multiple versions of that song? Yeah, that's how good it was. Let's check it out. And again, that that one, I apologize. I picked like the worst part of the song. Song rocks, though. It I kills. love this song, and I kind of rock out to this one a little bit. I gotta be honest. The line, if I ever meet you, I'll control, I'll delete you, is one of the most badass things I've ever heard. <laughs> Legitimately. There are so many good I'm lines. I'm a little bit upset that it's in this, that it's in a silly song, because that's just, that's some hard nerd stuff. Dude, you're more useless than JPEGs to Helen Keller. Come okay, on. Okay, let's take a moment to appreciate that we've we've mocked the man's early rap abilities when, when hip-hop was a little more archaic. He has evolved. In this song, he rhymes, hey fella. With Parent Seller, with Sarah Michelle Geller, with Brain Dead AOLer, with Old Yeller, with Helen Keller. Yeah, bravo! Sir. That's like Eminem level right there. It really is. So many good lines in this. 
you think your Commodore 64 is really neato? What kind of chip you got in there, Dorito? This was the, it might have been the last song. It was definitely the last parody that he wrote for this record. And he kind of described it as like kind of scrambling to to finish. And I think he said he didn't have the lyrics done. And normally that's the first thing that he finishes. He made them like record all the instruments and the like second guitar tracks and everything. So he would have time to finish writing the lyrics. Wow. Great job, man. Use, this is one of the best parodies on this record. Using the 286, don't make me laugh. You window, windows boots up in, what, a day and a half? <laughs> you can back up your whole hard drive on a floppy diskette. You're the biggest joke on the internet. So good. The whole thing's funny. It's, it's a very great. funny song. I love it. And the video was great, too. I remember the video being a pretty big hit because he, he nailed the video. Yeah, because it was it's a pretty direct parody of the All About the Benjamins yep. video with... With Puffy yeah. and Mace in that yeah. shiny E.T. hallway. Yeah. It just looks like the the tent that the government puts up when Elliot's full of tubes <laughs> in E.T. Uh, I love all the yeahs in the background. Yeah, yeah. And he has that. Oh, backup vocals shine in this track. Yeah, and he does the different like styles, too, of, of like the different rappers who do their parts, which I love. It's just so great on so many levels. We don't really get a Lil' Kim impression, but I, I forgive you. <laughs> all right. Next track. Track 10 is an original called Truck Driving Song. Yeah, a little country pistachio. and A little country western tune about being a being a big feller and a blue-collar worker, rolling a couple thousand pounds of steel down the freeway in your, in your fishnet stockings and <laughs> your, your high-heel shoes while you're waiting for your nails to dry. When I hit those big speed bumps, my darling little rhinestone bumps keep slipping off the mother love and clutch. But still I'm driving a truck, driving a big old truck, heading down the interstate just trying to make a buck. Wearing feather boas with sequins and chiffon while I'm driving a truck with my high heels on. I'm driving a truck, driving. That part where the, the chorus kicks in is really great too yeah i love al just kind of taking shots i mean i feel like he's just sticking it to you know super right-wing homophobic country fans totally and And i wanted to ask that question is because that's obviously the the insane combination of culture and style that that he's doing here is the you know it's a drag queen driving a (laughs) a freight but i think it's worth pointing out that he does this for Pretty Fly for a Rabbi as well, that there's a couple instances of taking the opposite, like musical culture and world culture or or U.S. culture and mashing them together on this album. And this is one of them. Do you think, because I, again, think that this is, if it's making fun of anybody, it is what you said, like the the right wing. If it's rubbing anybody the wrong way, I think it's people that would have an issue with an honest, hardworking drag queen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hundred percent think he's trying like, to get butt. Yeah, I think he's trying. I think to this get is a, a self empowerment song for the big beer gut dude who also wants to feel pretty. <laughs> it's like a rallying, rallying song. Absolutely, yeah. Right on. I think it, I think it can be both. I also really dig it because I can sing in that low of a register. So it's <laughs> rare that you get a chance to when you're not listening to Johnny Cash. <laughs> Track eleven. Track eleven is a parody of Zoot Suit Riot. By the Cherry Poppin' Daddies. Yes, kids, in the late 90s, a band called themselves the Cherry Poppin' Daddies, and we all let it happen. <laughs> shame on all of us. It's a parody of Zoot Suit Riot called Grapefruit Diet, and I don't like it for that reason. 
Why? Just it's more because I think there's good lines in here. I think it's funny. But because of the Zoot Suit Riot grapefruit diet. Got it. No, you don't. More work needs to be done here. And I also feel like there's just so many incredible new areas he explores here and and unique songs that he crafts and new entries to the the Al Zeet guys. There's one for you. It's been several episodes <laughs> since I gave you guys one of those. I think that just another song about food and being real fat is kind of going back to the well. A little yeah. Bit. There are very funny lines in the song. Though. There when are. he says, who's real flabby? Yes, I am. Instead of who's your daddy. That's that's great. I like uh, going into the music break. Blow, fatty. <laughs> yeah, that's very funny, too. <laughs> this, again, is... I think I love the variety of the music on this album. Because we got a swing song, which is another new genre for Al to tackle. And again... The music is spot on. I mean, I'm assuming those are real horns on there, right? Oh, yeah, for they sure. They sound legit. And and his voice is right in that register of, uh, of the man who is named Steve Perry, even though it's not that Steve Perry from Cherry Pop and Daddies. But yeah, it's a little it's a little punching down. It's a little fat shamey. Again, the writing on this well. album is great. It is and he's great, saying yes. that this is like the weakest track on the album. This is still the line... I used to live on chocolate sauce made sumo wrestlers look like Kate Moss is like (laughs) one of the best fat jokes you've ever written Al. That's very funny. It just kind of, I don't know. I think it is mostly that, that easily gotten to pun in the song title. And then just because it's familiar territory and so much of the rest of this album is blazing new weird trails. There's a line. Didn't he use this line already? Uh, I need a boomerang when I put on my belt. Isn't that from fat or eat it? Maybe. I don't think so. I feel like we've heard that before. But yeah, it's it, it didn't age great. It's still well done. The lyrics are fun. And the music's great. But yeah, it's, it's probably the low point on the album, I'd say. No, what's not, though, is our actual final track, which is track 12. Oh, my God. I wouldn't even say original. It is a masterpiece yep. that is called Albuquerque. Well, I'm like, hey, you can't have that. That snorkel's been just like a snorkel to me. And he's like, tough. And I'm like, give it. And he's like, make me. And I'm like, okay. So I grabbed his leg and he grabbed my esophagus and I bit off his ear and he chewed off my eyebrows and I took out his appendix and he gave me a colonic irrigation. If indeed you better believe it. And somehow in the middle of it all, the phone got knocked off the hook. And 20 seconds later, I heard a familiar voice. And you know what it said? I'll tell you what it said. It said, if you'd like to make a call, please hang up and try again. If you need help, Now that I think of it, Jay, this I did play this as part of my four-song show because it was right. That was right at the time, and 100%, I definitely played this. This is just the ultimate Al original song, really. And I again picked a not great part, but I do love the the part with the phone operator. It was very funny to me. Absolutely, him, and him you needed to get air. that part in there. <laughs> the the two different like songs that go on for how long is this track? Eleven minutes and forty-three seconds. I want to say twenty-three seconds. Not a second of it wasted. No. Even even the screaming solo because of the weasels that are eating his face at one point. I hope someone is listening to this not knowing the song Albuquerque <laughs> and just getting a brief description of what you're in store for before you actually go jump into this thing. It is a wild ride, this song. 
my notes here look like I am a mental patient <laughs> from all the things that I had to jot down. Because one of the things I wrote is just waka waka do do yeah. yeah. Because he throws that at the end of a line yep. <laughs> for no reason. It's very, very dead milkman, you know, very just stream of consciousness, silly storytelling. I love, I love the in the clip that you chose. I love the idea of someone using a colonic irrigation as a fight move. You're going to fight with someone. They give you a colonic irrigation. I love the, the sauerkraut that his mom kept feeding him sauerkraut, and he hates sauerkraut, and then it, it all comes back at the end of the song. That Like nine point? minutes later, yeah. he reminds you. Like, What's the point of the song again? Oh, I hate sauerkraut. I also love that just after he's screaming because there's weasels eating his face that he got from a donut shop that was out of several different types of donuts, he meets the love of his life. He says, I'll never forget the first thing she said to me. You got weasels on your face. <laughs> it's a very funny joke from him. I love the, uh, the the call out when he tries to sell sing Albuquerque to this like crowd that's now shown up. He's like, A-A-L-L-B-U. And there's just a pause and... Kirky. <laughs> he just gives up on trying to spell it out. There's so many L-isms in this song that just, it feels so him. And that voice, remember other times we've been like, why does he sound angry? This is the angry L voice that I know and love. Is that like you were just saying, the I hate sauerkraut. Like, that's what I want for, <laughs> from angry L. I don't want girls having lunch. I want sauerkraut getting shoved down your throat through a funnel. And now... We have to decide. There is a point where uh, he bites a man's jugular. Dude, people be dying in this song. Yeah. So first off, he takes he takes a plane ride before we even get to neck bite man. He takes a plane ride, and three of the engines die, and it spirals out of the air, and it crashes, and everyone dies except for oh, that's Al. That's right. That's right. Because he had his tray table up and his seat back in the full upright position. So. Looked it up again, because I didn't remember from last time, a 747 jet, which I confirmed. I was like, let's look at some some major airlines. What type of jet are you using? Southwest and another one that I looked up. Both exclusively use 747, so I'm confident that would be the plane that I was in when it went down. And 467 passengers on a wow. 747. Wow. But everyone died except for me, is what he says. So we got 466 <laughs> being added to the number. He also tells a story of a, a friend of his who was... Was he carrying something heavy or moving something? And he said, do, do you want some help? And he said, no, I want you to cut my arms and legs off with a chainsaw. <laughs> so I did. Uh, I don't think that dude dies because he says he got a really cute nickname after that torso boy. So I think it stands to reason that he healed from his from his wounds and went on to be well enough that people were comfortable mocking him for his disfigurement and calling him torso boy. So I think he's fine. But yes, a man gets bit in a jug in his jugular in this song and is screaming and bleeding all over himself. And I don't have uh, alt-right blues musician to make fun of his dead kid for this one to decide <laughs> where where I think it should fall. Do you think the guy who gets bit in the jugular dies or do you think that in 1999 first aid response times were dependable enough? I tend to think if the guy who had his arms and legs chainsawed off, pulled through. Jugular guy lives. I mean, the guy who got Nosferatu'd is probably. Should we flip a coin like Two-Face? <laughs> Do I, we have like a weird. Want to Harvey Dent it? We can. <laughs> Should we flip a weird owl CD? Can we do that? No, go ahead. Flip a coin. Here, I'll flip my 
my Weird Al VIP watch box. How about that? All right, heads these deads. Okay, this is heads. Heads is the print side. Tails is the black side. Here we go. Flipping it. He lives! All right, so that puts us at a total of just 466 for this song because none of none of the other ones are we counting as as deaths. Damn. People get injured in this song and they get colonic irrigations. <laughs> but the only people that die are are the people that did not respect the demands of of the flight attendants. I should have listened. Let me tell you this was the closing original song at the show I saw him at and the place was just off just blew up and it was awesome live, man. I'm yeah, sure that ending too, like live, that gets so intense. Oh yeah, it was it was fantastic. Yeah, he ends with that. He ended the main set with that, and then did like an acoustic uh, parody medley, and then the encore after that. But yeah, it was so a, a force live. If anyone has never seen Weird Al live, not for the the ill advised vanity tour where he just does originals, and it's like like seeing any other band where you go see a band play their songs that they mm-hmm. wrote. Normally, when you go see him live, it is a very big production. He is just as much of a pop star as any other one, and there are costume changes, and there are clips that you watch, and there's set dressings and everything, and it's really a a big production. When I saw him live, they go out, and they come back out for for an encore, and they're all wearing Jedi garb. And next to us is a, I would guess, particularly socially awkward couple. (laughs) And the gentleman turned to his lady and said, oh, I think they're going to do the Star Wars song. And my buddy and I that I was at the show with could not keep it together. Like, they're wearing Jedi robes, you think? That's great. (laughs) It's great. Albuquerque's great. This whole album's great. I have to choose my favorite parody, Jay. Yeah, you didn't even do your homework this week, but what a difficult assignment we were given. So I kind of excuse you. What are you down to? What are you? I'm going Pentiums. Torn between. Honestly, I'm going Pentiums. Pentiums just okay. rock so hard. I mean, Saga Begins Man, is perfect. Great. Fly for Rabbi is racist. Yeah, I'm going Pentiums. It's certainly not not a problematic song. No. Also, as a former IT guy, I relate to it as well. It's a little bit outdated technologically, but it's not offensive to anyone except maybe Helen Keller fans. <laughs> Helen Keller herself. All he says is that you're as useless as JPEGs to Helen Keller. She definitely could not see. I don't see why you would no, be too mad about fact. that. You can't. Not even Helen Keller could argue with that. Mostly because she wouldn't hear me say it. What else do we need to say about this album, Jay? I feel you know what. In, in doing some research, I feel like it it wasn't getting the love that it deserves, like from fans and stuff. Do you, did you get any of that vibe from the general internet or no? No, no, not not too much, at least not now, because I've done a fair amount of digging into like Reddit lists and just rankings on various pop culture or music websites where people rank all of the weird albums. There's a number of, of examples of what we are doing, but none of them are as interesting or entertaining. So please continue <laughs> listening to this incredible podcast. There's a lot of people... And I honestly think a big part of it is going to be like like I was saying, there's a little bit of bias that this time period gained a lot of new Weird Al fans yeah. in like the, the late 90s and early 2000s. But I think you could definitely argue that it's because he was putting out very high quality stuff at that time. Agree. Very much. But there, there's definitely a, a very huge following for for this album and a lot of people i have seen that think it is his very best it's uh it might be in my front runner at the moment but again i gotta go back and then check out the old ones again compared to it you know as we climb through the ages of weird al but man 
there's not a bad song on here at all. Like everything is good. There's really not. And for the amount of crap that I talked about about grapefruit diet, if that had been on some other albums, it would have been one of the standout yeah. tracks. So yep. very true. Anything else we gotta plug? Any other housekeeping? What's the death toll at? But so it's gonna be Body count, body count, body count. Yeah, motherfucker. Seven billion, four hundred and twenty-five million, nine hundred and seventy-seven. I believe because of the person who fell screaming out of the window <laughs> was one of the the unsure ones that we we decided yes they are dead. So I believe it's nine hundred and seventy-seven, and then seven reindeer and the the rats and flies from good old days. Sounds good. And by the way, Jay, I just want to tell you, you look wonderful tonight. Thanks, I agree. She's all right. <laughs> She's all right. We- Cocaine. <laughs>